this series that we're starting this morning is called Made for More. And so if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, you can either click to, turn to with me, Ephesians chapter 1, and and I'm going to get there in a few minutes, but I really this morning want you to understand the heart behind this message or, 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 or where this message was like, the burden came from, or, or how this message was like birthed in my life and my heart, and which, which, which started, started all, all the way back into, into the fall, into September, when, when we did a mission trip to Zimbabwe. And so I, I noticed this issue about this issue of, of the difference between gathering and being assembled. You see in Scripture that oftentimes that God does both. He gathers a group of people together, but he just doesn't gather them together. He gathers them together for a reason. He gathers and assembles them. He gathers and then he assembles them for a function or for a mission or for a purpose to where they, they begin to serve together and they love one or they know one or they come into community with one another. And so when we went to Mimbezi uh, with, with a mission team from our church, and, and this has happened on, on Haiti mission team teams, the Dominican Republic, many different mission teams. This is not unique to just Zimbabwe. And so when we went to Zimbabwe, we, we gathered as a, as a group, and we, we kind of didn't know each other, and so we gathered as a group. We did some training. We did some other things. But something happened when we got on the plane. Something happened when we started doing life together there in Zimbabwe, and we started worshiping together. We started serving together. We got to know each other, and real quickly, we became like a family. And then together, we saw God. Listen, we saw God do some amazing things while we were there. We saw the same thing happen in Israel to where we gathered as, as a team and we gathered in an info meeting and, and we all started sharing about why we wanted to go to Israel and why this was on our heart and what we expected God to do there. And, but we really didn't know each other. We just kind of gathered. But then we got on a plane and we went to Israel and, and we ran in between some bullets and some other things and we saw some biblical sites and we worshiped together and we prayed together. We began helping each other. It's amazing what happened with this group of people. And something happened and we were no longer gathered as strangers, but we had been assembled together and we knew each other. I mean, we became, you, you talk to any family, any team member that went with us, we became, we became family. We became family. And I noticed it, and I started thinking of the Lord back in Zimbabwe and in Israel and said, God, have you, have you made us for more than this? Have we in the local church, and we have made church in America just about gathering? We just gather together. We hear some songs. We sing some songs. We pray some prayers. We really don't know the people that we worship with. We really don't come into community. We're really not connected. For us, the local church is just to be gathered. It's just to gather together and sing some songs and pray some prayers. And then we go all of our separate ways. And then we gather again and we do it all over again. And so I I just wondered, has God made us for more than that? Why do we have to go to Mimbezi? Why do we have to go on a foreign mission trip to have that? Why can't we have that here? Why can't we have that in our daily routine? Why can't we understand that, guess what? God, God has made you for more than just gathering. This is a huge burden in my life just to try to communicate because, well, here, here's what Acts says, and, and we'll get to Ephesians, but here's what Paul said in, in Acts. He says, or I'm sorry, Luke, and he said this in verse 27. He says, and when they arrived and they gathered, so there you see the word. You see the word gathered, right? And they gathered the church together and they declared all that God had done with them. 
and how he had opened doors and, uh, to the faith of the Gentiles. And so all of a sudden you see in Scripture that, yeah, we gathered. And when we gather together, this gathering is celebration. It's a celebration of what God has done. It's a celebration of the doors that God is opening. It's a celebration of what we're doing together. It's a celebration. But listen, we were made for more than that. Church was designed for way more than that. You look through Scripture and you see it over and over and over that God would gather and assemble a group of people for a purpose and for a mission and for a function that they did together. Fact is, the early church is so fascinating. The early church wasn't known by the style of worship, the way they worshiped, the worship songs that they sang. It wasn't known by their preaching or anything. You know what the early church was known for? Their mission. It was magnified by their mission, that they were together and people knew that they loved one. The people knew there was a community of believers that served together. I don't know if you've ever thought of this. There's a huge difference between being gathered and assembled. The easiest way that I can understand this or, or, or explain this is one of the things that Karen and I love to do as grandparents is we get to, we get to buy bicycles for our grandkids. And so that, that it might be kind of goofy or weird, but that's just something we like to do. And so we told our kids that, you know what, whenever they, when their kids, whenever our grandkids are like ready for a new bike, they've outgrown one, need another one, that just let us know and we'll buy it. I mean, that's something special. We'll do that. We remember what it was like when we were raising kids and budgets and all of those other things. And so, so we, we just, we, we do that. And so Micah, this last October is his birthday, and he had outgrown a bicycle. He needed another bicycle. And so, you know, Brittany texts or emails Karen and, and sends us an Amazon link to a bicycle that, that she said would work for, for Micah. Karen clicks on it. It's an amazing thing, right? You click on it, you buy it, and a bike, a box, magically appears on your doorstep the next day. <laughs> it's amazing, right? Until, until, until you open the box. The parts are just gathered. <laughs> right? I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I mean, I open the box and I'm like, what? This isn't a bicycle. This is parts of a bicycle. The parts are just gathered. I mean, I mean, you got you got a couple of tires in there that aren't connected to the frame. Uh, you got handlebars. You got you got a seat. You got training wheels. You got reflectors. You have stickers. You have all these accessories. And you know the crazy thing is 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 this is that it's just it's just a box of parts. It's just it's just gathered. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine if I just took that box and wrapped it up? And drove up to Colorado Springs and went into the living room where Micah was and say, hey, Micah, here's your, here's your bike. Here's your bicycle. And he opens it up and he's like pulling out a tire and pulling out handlebars and a seat. And he's like, what am I going to do with this? This isn't a bike. The bike, listen, the bike will never do what it's called to do. It will never function the way it's designed to do. Unless somebody, what? Somebody assembles it. And Micah would look at it and say, what am I going to do with this? I can't even ride it, Pop-Pop. I mean, what am I going to do? And I'd look at him and say, I'm not going to assemble it. There's a, listen, I'm telling you, there is a difference. I just want you to understand this is my burden. There is a difference between being gathered together and being assembled. There's a difference in a family. Let's talk about a family. There's a difference in a family just being gathered together at celebrations, gathered together at a party, gathered together at an anniversary or something like that, than a family that's truly assembled together. 
working together, serving one. I mean, this principle works all through life. It's not just being gathered. It's assembled. And I, I'm so burdened that a lot of churches are just a pile of bike parts, not connected, not working together. They're isolated. Look at this. Paul writes in Ephesians, this is what he says about the church, and he says he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. In other words, the local church, can I just tell you this? The local church is giving to us, but more assembly is required. It's when the parts, because what Paul tells us in Corinthians, what Paul tells us other place, he's already given us all the parts that we need. He's already given us everything that we need. It's just now we have to connect it. Here's, a, here's an Old Testament scripture. It's just so interesting. It uses both, but watch this. Verse 15 in Numbers chapter, uh, Numbers chapter 10, verse 7. Great. I'm confusing the guys in the back. I jumped around. But anyway, verse 7. But when the assembly, so there's that word, when the assembly is to be gathered together, so now you see even in the Old Testament, it's gathered and assembled. Gathered and assembled. You shall blow a long blast. You shall not sound an alarm. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall blow the trumpets. The trumpets shall be to you for a perpetual statute throughout your generations. And when you go to war in your land against the adversary who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, that you may be remembered before the Lord your God. And you shall be saved from your enemies on the day of your gladness also. And at your appointed feast and in the beginnings of, of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. They shall be a reminder of you before your Lord, before your God. I am the Lord your God. In other words, when he's talking about this, he says, so you gather together, and then when you, when you blow the trumpets, that's when you're assembled. When you blow the trumpets, that's when you're assembled together for a function. In other words, you come to this place and you understand, just back to the bike, Every, the seat and the handlebars and the tires, I mean, on their own, they're beauty. They have beauty, they have value, they have meaning. But guess what? When they are connected together, it is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing when it functions as it's supposed to. And so this morning, I, I just want to read Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. It's Apostle Paul. Paul. Paul is starting this church in Ephesus, and you can see this. We're going to walk through the book of Ephesians, and we're going to see how the church started to gather, and then they were gathering, and then by the end of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, you're going to see that they were assembled. They were assembled for a function, and all of a sudden, something changed in that congregation. And so Paul is like the pastor... And he prays his prayer, and it's a much different prayer than many of us would pray, and a lot of pastors would pray for their churches, and, and it's, a, it's a much different prayer in the way that sometimes we pray for other people around us. And, and so here, here's what he prays. This is, as he starts the church, he says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, 
And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us? In other words, he has made you for more. He has made you to see his immeasurable power. He's made you to see his greatness. The question is, is why do so few of us actually see that? Why do we, why do we not experience that? Go on. Towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to, one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. This morning, I want to give you three characteristics just as we start this journey out together. This is going to be a journey. It's going to be about an eight to ten week series as we journey together. And we got some cool things planned for you to help deepen you and help us to understand this issue about what it means to be gathered together and what it means to be assembled, what it means to pray with one another and pray for things and ask God for big things and pray bold prayers and all of those other things. But this morning, I want to help you with just three basic characteristics out of this prayer that are, uh, that are part of a believer's life. The first one is this. They live by faith. The first one is this, is that they simply learn to live, live by faith. Oh, and they live by faith through all seasons of their life. In other words, they understand this issue, what it means to live by faith. Listen, when we live by faith, we get to see his immeasurable greatness. We get to see his power because this is what we were made for. We were made to live by faith. He said this. He said, for this reason, verse 15, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all to all, towards all the saints. Man, there's, a, there's this American dream or there's like this American path, right, that says that we risk early in life and, and then we kind of settle down and we just kind of coast into retirement and retirement are like the easy years. And, and so you just you live your life and, and early in life you, you risk, you sow your wild oats, you, 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 you get some things out of your system, but then once you grow up, you, you get a career, you settle down, uh, you get a job, you get a profession, and then at some point in your life, you begin just to play it safe. And you're earning and you're saving and you're consolidating because, because you're not supposed to take any risk any longer. Why? Because you got this responsibility. you got this issue of retirement that's coming. And retirement is that time that we're just supposed to kind of coast into, in, into life. And, and Paul is saying, you know what, in his time, that there's a, there's a different path. That some people are on a different path. Some people are on a kingdom path. See, there's a difference between the American path and a kingdom path or the kingdom of God path. Now, listen. In the church, when we talk about the kingdom of God, there's a lot of confusion over what is the kingdom of God. I mean, the disciples talked about, about it a lot, and Jesus talked to the disciples about it a lot. The disciples were confused about what is the kingdom of God. See, the, a lot of people, whenever you mention the kingdom of God, all of a sudden people think, well, that's something that's future. I mean, the kingdom of God, that's like heaven. I mean, that's something that happens in the future. But that's not what Jesus said. Didn't Jesus teach us to pray? That he said that your kingdom come, your will be done as it is on earth, as it is on, in heaven, as it is in, on earth. I think I got that right. <laughs> it's bedtime in Israel. <laughs> on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it is. He didn't say as it is heaven in heaven. On earth. As it is in heaven. Do you realize you can experience the kingdom of God right now? 
You know what the kingdom of God is? Just make it real easy. It's where God rules. It's where God rules. Can you imagine how your life would change? Can you imagine how your marriage would change if God ruled your marriage? How would your career, your profession change? If you experienced the kingdom of God. And God ruled my profession. God ruled my kingdom. How would your dating life change? How would your church life change? How would you change following him? If he truly, if he truly ruled and you came under him, do you realize it is possible for us to bring the kingdom of God down, to bring the kingdom of God down to our marriage, to our situation, to our relationships, to our church, to where all of a sudden, see, that is when we see the immeasurable power of the greatness of God. That's when we see, see, we were made for more than just gathering. We were made for more than just gathering together and not really being connected. And when you look at this, you realize that believers, one characteristic of believers is that we come to this place, we just, we just, we just live by faith. And listen, I know this, right? And I mean, I've lived enough years and through enough seasons, and I'm, I'm, I'm in this different season of my life. And as a grandparent in October, I just turned 60. And I know that surprise you. You probably thought I was still in my 50s. And, and you're not supposed to laugh at that. What is wrong with you? <laughs> oh, yeah, I heard that. You know what I've learned? When I was in my 20s and my 30s, it was easier to risk. The older you get, the harder risk is. The older you get, the harder faith is. Probably should be the other way around, right? Because we've had enough years on it and we realize that, that, that we could, he is faithful and we can trust him. But there's something about when you risk in your 20s and your 30s because you figure, you know what? If I lose it all, I still have enough working years left where I can rebuild everything. And when we get older and we get older and we get older and, and retirement's coming, all these other things are coming, that all of a sudden risk becomes harder and harder. Have you ever thought that God wants to use you through every season of your life? God wants you to be connected. God wants you to come to this place to where you understand, listen, I'm telling you, when you see the, the power, the measurable greatness of God is when you learn to walk by faith. You learn to trust him. I mean, in, in, in 1995, when, when we were living in that state that I'm not allowed to talk about. <laughs> Until Easter. Look out, Easter. <laughs> I'd never been to Pueblo, Colorado. I was the, one of the few people in my state that had never even been to Colorado. And all of a sudden, we come to Pueblo... And we leave everything. We leave jobs. We leave family. We leave security. We leave careers. We leave, we leave everything to go to a city that we've never, ever seen based upon a promise of God and just start a, a gathering that would become an assembly. And I'm telling you, over the last 25 years, we've seen the measurable greatness of God together. Karen and I, after turned 60, we started having like real serious conversations, and maybe you've had these conversations in your home about how do we want to end the fourth quarter of our ministry, the fourth quarter of our life. Do we want to coast? Do we want to rest? Uh, rest? Or do we want to trust him at even a higher level? And we just want to risk everything. You know what we decided? 
We're, we're going we're gonna to press into him even deeper than we ever had in our life, even deeper than we did in our 30s and our 40s. We're going to trust him because you know what we found? We have found that he is faithful. We have found that when you trust him and you walk with him and you walk by faith, that is when you see the immeasurable greatness of God. Have you ever thought that God wants to use you in every season of your life, whether it's your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, or into retirement where you have more discretionary time that you could actually give to disciple and to minister, minister to, to others? And here's what Paul said in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. He said, but my righteous ones shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. This issue of faith and trust is so huge. Watch this. He says in Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The only way that you and I are going to walk by faith is we first have to believe that, guess what? He exists. He's real. And the second thing we have to believe is, you know what? He rewards those who, who walk by faith. He, that's when we see the immeasurable greatness of God. The second thing is this. The second characteristic in a believer's life is this, is they are known by love. I mean, they are known, listen, they are known by love. Isn't that, what, isn't that what Jesus said, right? Jesus was talking to his disciples. He's talking to us. And he says, hey, the way people will know you are mine, the way people will know that you're my followers, the way people will know that you're a believer is not by some denominational tag that you hang on your, your, your name or not by the church that you attend or not where you go to church, not when you go to church, not how often you go to church. The way, listen, the way that people will know that you are mine is that if you love one another, you're assembled, you're connected. And so many times when you look at this issue of, of love, well, let's just read this. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 1. Let, let's, let's get a context and we'll say that. He says, for this reason, listen, I'm going to come back for, for this reason because it doesn't translate in English the way that Paul wrote it in the Greek. He says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all, all the saints. All through Scripture, this, this is just kind of for, for free and this is something that you should grab hold of. That, that when you look at this issue, when he says he, he connected, Paul connected faith and love together. When you look in scripture, faith and love are always connected together. The same way grace and peace are always connected together. Because you cannot have one without the other. You cannot have grace without peace and you cannot have peace without grace. You cannot have faith without love and you cannot have love without faith. In other words, he's, what he's talking about this issue is, is that when we walk by faith, it's because of this issue of love. It's love of God and love of others. It's love of those that are around us. That's why he connected this together. See, Paul used this phrase, and, and it's translated into English, but, but it, doesn't, it doesn't help us understand the weight that was in the Greek. And so he says this. He says, for this, for this reason. You know what he said, for this reason? He said, for this reason, because of this. He said, it because it's hard, even in church, to find people that truly love all people. Why is it sometimes that the people of faith are the most harsh, judgmental, critical, angry people on the planet? See, Paul is saying for this reason, because Paul, even in his church, is saying it's hard to find people that love all people. 
When I came to faith in Christ and the church that I came to faith in Christ in, and I'm like this new believer and I'm trying to figure this whole Christian thing out and what it means to walk as a believer. And so they, they had this saying, and maybe you've heard it, maybe you've never heard it, but they, they had this saying that people would, would actually say this and they would, they would talk about another church member and they would say, they would say, you know what? I don't like him. I don't like her, but I love him in the Lord. Even, even a new Christian knew that didn't square with Scripture. You know, you know what code is? When someone says, you know what, I don't like him. I don't like her, but I love him in the Lord. I love her in the Lord. You know what that means? I hate their guts. <laughs> like you can divorce your feelings from your beliefs and your emotions. See, see Paul's trying to help us understand. It's rare, even in his context. It is rare because you know what moves us to be connected? You know what moves us to assemble? Love for one another. The world. The world has an answer, right? The world says, oh, you know what we need? We need tolerance. The world right now, right? You've heard it. They're not screaming love. They're screaming tolerance. We just need to have tolerance. Listen, tolerance is not love. I don't care what they tell you. Tolerance is not a biblical word. Tolerance is not love. You know what tolerance says? Tolerance says, I'll just tolerate you. Friday on Valentine's Day. Can you imagine someone taking you out to a really romantic dinner, spending a lot of money, a nice meal, candlelight, the whole deal. At some point in the night, they shove a, a Valentine card across, and you open it up, and it says, I tolerate you, baby. I tolerate you so much. I tolerate you more than anybody on the planet. I just want you to know that. Would you feel loved? No. Tolerance is not love. I'm just telling you, tolerance is not love. That's why some of the people screaming the loudest for tolerance in the world become the most intolerant people when they disagree with you. And they'll gaslight you. They'll flame you. They'll scapegoat. They'll do whatever they have to do to shut you up. And Paul is coming to this place. He's talking about this issue of love. He's talking about <laughs> the way that we know the believers, the love for one another. And you know what? It's love for one another that calls us to be connected. It's love for one another that calls us to be assembled. See, we saw this play out in, in Israel. We, uh, we gathered together at an info meeting and a planning meeting. And I just asked everybody, hey, why do you want to go to Israel? Because Karen and I have a burden that we'll, as long as people want to go to Israel, we'll take them. Because we, we know what it did in our life and we've seen what it's done in other people's lives. And so Cecil and Pam Perrick were on our trip. Cecil, many of you know, he sang on worship team for a lo long time. And, and then he's a prayer partner. He's also in the jail ministry with Karen. And, and so Cecil, Cecil stood up and says, well, I've wanted to go since 2008 or 2009. And, 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 and one of my dreams is to get baptized there. And so, and so we all knew this. And Cecil talked about it. And so we go to Israel. And, and unfortunately, on the day that we went to the Jordan River and we baptized like 30-something like people in our group and and Cecil and Pam Perrick were sick. Cecil missed baptism day. And we all knew that it was kind of a dream of his and something that he wanted to do. And, 
And so that night at dinner, we, we ate all of our meals together. And so I'm sitting at a table. Bob Thomas is across from me, and Cecil is to Bob's my right, Bob's left, and he's sitting there. We're having a meal together. And Cecil's talking that, hey, I think I'm feeling better. And I'm, I'm able to keep food down, and I feel stronger. And, and so as he finished up his meal, Cecil looked across the table at me. And Cecil was hearing about everybody talking about baptism and showing pictures and how awesome it was and all that other stuff. And, and so Cecil looked at me and says, hey, by the way, uh, Pam and I will see you on the bus in the morning. We're going to be able to go. And so as Cecil got up and left, Bob looked across the table at me and says, hey, you think we can swing back by the Jordan River? Let's, let's get Cecil baptized. It's his dream. I'm like, well, you know, I says, we can do that. I'm, we may have to change the itinerary. We may miss a site. And Bob's like, what's more important, a site or seeing Cecil get baptized? And I said, well, you know what? I, I'll check. As I got up, I started meeting team member after team member after team member from our church. And they're like, hey, can we go get Cecil baptized tomorrow? We don't, we don't mind being inconvenienced. We don't mind going out of our way. And all of a sudden, it became this community thing that people wanted to see Cecil because they knew it was a dream of his. They, they knew it was something he wanted to do. And so I go over to Mir and Boaz, our, our bus driver and our, our guide, and I say, hey, guys, we got to change for tomorrow. We need to get Cecil. We need to get Cecil baptized. And so they're like, we're on it. We love special missions. <laughs> and so we're, we're, we're on it. And so that morning, I met Cecil and Pam Perrick. They came off the elevator, and I was standing there when they came down for breakfast. And I said, hey, guys, you know, we've talked. Our team's talked, and we want to see you guys get baptized. Would you like to get baptized? It was a huge moment. And they ran upstairs and got, you know, their, their, their swimsuits and stuff that they needed, and they came back. And, and then 41 people went out of their way, went down to the river, and we gathered around. We got a couple of pictures. Here, here's a picture that Karen shot of, of uh, there's Cecil coming out of the water. It's Bob Thomas on the right. He said, I'll go in and I'll help you. And then I, I don't know if the picture captures it, but we got a couple of shots of, of our, our group around just watching what took place. And so they're just going to come up. And so there's our group. And, and I mean, they are celebrating. I, I told them, that's the picture of the local church. See, the picture of the local church is more than just gathering. The picture of the local church is when we truly love one another. And sometimes we put somebody else's needs over our needs. Sometimes we understand that, guess what? When we get to see the measurable greatness and the power of God, is we, when, we under, when we understand this, this about what, what is love, uh, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews writes in 10, 23, and 25, he says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who's promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The third and the last characteristics of a believer's life is, is you pray by faith and, and, and love. You, you learn to pray by faith and love. And remember, Paul is, Paul is writing to the saints there in Ephesus. He's, work, he's, he's writing to church people. And Paul is praying for the church. And listen, the church has all kinds of issues. They got illness going on. They got sin issues. They have people coming in from an immoral lifestyle and trying to figure out the Christian life. They, they got all kinds of issues. And like they're gathering together. And Paul begins praying for the church. And, and the way Paul prayed for the church is, is a lot different, I think, than most pastors pray for their church. Or, or maybe it's a lot different than the way we pray for others. And so here's his prayer. Starting in verse 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him. 
having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seating him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. When you look at Paul, verse 6, 17, is he just kept asking. See, see, true prayer is when it's just persistent. It's just consistent. And so many times we get discouraged in prayer, right? We start praying, and we don't see results, and we think, you know what? If I can't see results, nothing's happening, so I give up. Paul wasn't that type of guy. Paul continued to pray because he realized, you know what? God is working. And he used this phrase, he says, when he prayed for others, he says, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him. In other words, the way he prayed for others, he says, you know what I'm praying? I'm praying God gives you revelation. I'm praying that God, listen, I believe in you. I trust you. I am praying that God gives you revelation. You're able to see the problem and you know what to do and you're going to do it. I'm asking God to give you wisdom and discernment in how to handle that situation. In other words, a lot of times, you know the way we pray? If we're normal, a lot of times, when we pray about someone, we just tell God on them. We tell God what he needs to change, what they're doing wrong, like he doesn't know. Like God is not in heaven, says, really, that is new information to me. I was not aware that was going on in their life. (laughs) You know how Paul prayed? I'm praying. God speaks to you. He gives you revelation. He gives you understanding. You're able to see the problem and know what to do. Is that the way you pray for family members? Is that the way you pray for a spouse, a, a husband, a wife, a child, a coworker, a church member? I mean, he's coming to this place to help them understand that when he began to pray, he prayed for his church in such a way that I'm pray- listen, I am praying for you. And by the way, I've started praying this prayer for our church. I've started praying this prayer for you. All this week, I was, I was quoting this. I was making it personal. That God, would you just give them? Would you just give them the insight and the revelation? Understand what they're called to do. Understand their gifting. Understand what you're asking them to do so that they may see the immeasurable greatness of God in their life where they're able just to, to live by faith. You know what caused me to assemble that bike for Micah? Is my love for him. In two YouTube videos. <laughs> it's a complicated thing. You know what the scripture says that moves us from gathering to assembling? Love. Love. For the people that we worship with people that we serve with. I'll close with this psalm, just a promise. Psalm 92, 13. They are planted in the house of the Lord. Are you, are you planted? Are you planted in this house? Are you growing roots down deep in this house? And then here's a promise. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. It's a huge promise that is given to us. When we plant our lives in the house of the Lord, that we flourish in every season, every, every season of life. 
church more assembly is required. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?